All right, guys, it's been a little while. We're finally back, sitting down, ready to record. And I'm so excited about this topic. I have been prepping for Pearl Harbor for a month. For one month's time. <clears throat> uh, Pearl Harbor? Yep. It's a bit early for that, don't you? Don't you think? Yeah, I thought it was a little odd that you guys wanted to do it in November. But, you know, you guys had the great idea. All he had to say was, remember, remember, the 7th of December. And I was on board. I was done. I was down, ready to go. Mm, yeah. Um, thing about that is we didn't say the 7th of December. Yeah, no, we said, remember, remember, V for Vendetta. This is Nerds on Film, right? Wait, what am I doing here? What is she doing here? Okay. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty. I'm Eric Brickmont. And I'm Sarah Ashley. Hello, Sarah. What up? Oh my god, what's happening right now, Brian? I I don't know what's happening. We go away for one month, we come back. Oh, oh my god. I got it. Remember that little trip we took in the TARDIS? Yeah. Yeah, you know how you sat on that thing that you were not supposed to sit on? Uh Uh-huh. Remember that whole parallel universe we had to escape from? I don't think we quite got back home the way we thought we did. You know how you go back to your other reality and there's that one thing that's different? Like there's fish in a pond that traditionally there's never been fish in. Or all of a sudden everybody has like goat's heads for heads or something like that. Okay, a little less extreme than that, but yes. Uh, oh my god, we're in a parallel universe. No, we're not in a parallel universe, ladies and gentlemen, though, I, though that is a fun idea. I was Eric's like, just like, call me the butterfly effect, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sarah is the chaos theory embodied. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, we, we had a little powwow about a month ago, and we thought, well, let, uh, the show uh, is in need of a new direction, so we're still going to do... The things we've been doing for two years now, we're still going to deliver great content, uh, we're, but we're going to change things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, one thing you're going to notice is that we'll be doing our episodes bi-weekly. Doing an episode every week is a lot of fun, but it is a lot of work, yeah. and it is so much work, and I'm amazed we were actually able to do it for two years, and I'm so proud of the fact that we got 104 episodes in consistently with only a couple weeks here and there where we, we did some skipping. Yeah, it took a couple of breaks. Right. I'm super, super proud of that. Um, but we also decided that we think Nerds in History needs need a fresh voice. And when we were thinking back to who else has been on the show consistently and has brought the same level of energy to the table, we could think of no one else better than our nerd, my Nerds on Film co-host, Sarah Ashley. But yeah. 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 So That's now me. Sarah uh-huh. is now going to be the third nerd in the nerds on history yes. circle, I am going to be the three. I'm going to be the parasitic triplet. Ooh, <laughs> parasitic triplet! I like that. <clears throat> All right, we were once a line, now we are a triangle. So there you go. There you go. This is very exciting. I'm happy to be here. I like talking history as well. So um, you know, just got to tone down the swears, and I will be ready. <laughs> yeah, so that means I have to defer all my bleeps to her because we only get three per episode. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds on history now. With 57% more bleeping. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm just curious. Like, why don't we catch up our listeners? How has October been for us? 
busy. <laughs> busy. One of the reasons why we weren't recording so much. Yeah. yeah. We were all really busy. We had a lot of things <clears throat> going on in October. Uh, Brian and I have just been swamped at work. Swamped at Unbelievably work. Unbelievably swamped at work. Of course, I still had the show as well. Yep. Because we had Kate. finishing the show. Uh, I have, you know, the brood of Brickmonts is what I refer to my, my family as now. My, my younglings, my children. Uh, they're always running around doing something. Of course, Halloween. Yep. And Sarah, you've been busy. I have been busy. Um, I got a promotion at my day job. Mm-hmm. And so I've been working really, really hard trying to get up to speed and ramp up. Um, and I, you know, went on a trip, went and spent a few days in St. Louis and got to experience that actually fairly cool city. I was not expecting it to be as fun as it was. And I had a really, really good time. So shout out to all you St. Louis, Missouri people and St. cards Louisians, fans. Yeah. St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I did take a, a small trip, too. I took a long weekend in Disneyland last weekend, uh, weekend before Halloween, and that was really, really fun. Oh, I had one afternoon to myself. That's exciting. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was awesome. What did you do with that afternoon? I probably watched Doctor can Who. You, can no, you tell us what you did? I did not did? watch Doctor Who. Yes, I can tell you. I watched Stargate. Oh. <laughs> and then I played Knights of the Old Republic on my iPad. While that's I much less hiking. interesting than I thought it was going to be. Actually, no, that's that's not true. I had two afternoons off. The other afternoon I went hiking. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. One of those was very nerdy. The other one was... Well, as I was hiking, I was also checking up on the latest Apple releases as well. Because oh. oh. I have a brand new iPad that I'm really happy with, too. There you go. Anyway. Yes. That was nerdy. That was my nerdy way of hiking. <clears throat> there you should, we, should we do this? Should yeah. Should we get right into this topic? Remember, remember the, the 7th of, of December. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, this is where you just need to be quiet okay, for a okay, couple I'll of seconds. I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. Okay. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I think of no reason the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. I, I could think of a few, but no. It was, really talk about why. was important. And so we're going to... Go ahead. <laughs> <clears throat> wow, you guys really got to get back in the flow of things. This is weird. There's another <laughs> person and they're watching us. We're just a bit rusty. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, this is actually a fairly, fairly interesting holiday because, um, I mean, now it really is kind of an excuse to have fireworks, beer and bonfires, right? Which, I mean, that's everybody's favorite stuff. However, um, it really does have actually a really strong anti-Catholic uh history to to this interesting holiday and um and so i mean kind of reading up on it guy fox day was never a a thing in my family maybe because i have a catholic family who knows but um in america it's it is celebrated but not celebrated to the extent that it is in the uk right of course because in the uk i mean it's it's a fairly big deal yeah well and new zealand as well I know they celebrate it there, too, probably in Australia. And yeah. keep in mind, in the United States, it doesn't have nearly the significance that it does to the British people. And in addition to that, this is kind of a busy time of year for us, right? Because we have, you know, Halloween and then we have the Day of the Dead. And there's a much larger Latino population in the United States than there is, you know, recently immigrated British. That's Obviously, true. most of us are descendants from immigrated British at some point. A lot right. of us are. Not most of us, but a lot of us are. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just doesn't hold that same significance. Sure. Right. And plus... Thanksgiving is a, a far bigger holiday in the U.S. than it is in the U.K. Right. So a lot of us, after we're done with Halloween, other than starting Christmas shopping super early, which I don't understand, <laughs> we're all just re- gearing up for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, yeah. Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's probably why we don't really give it that much of a, of a deal. And it probably wouldn't even have gotten that 
even that much recognition if it wasn't for the film V for Vendetta. Exactly. So, and V for Vendetta was originally a 1980s graphic novel. Of course, Alan Then Moore, became yes. the movie in 2005, but those masks are now used by people who... You know, go out and protest, occupy Wall Street, yeah, featured a lot of Guy Fox masks, um, Anonymous. Yeah. and Right, the cyber terrorist group Anonymous, yes. Yeah, so, um, so let's go ahead and kind of set the tone, shall we, of what England was like around this time. So sure. King James the first. Well, not just King James the first. Oh, that's true. Before that, yeah, King James the sixth and first, to be more accurate. So, um, <laughs> the sixth and first. The sixth and first. You're like, what? So let me let me let me explain. <clears throat> um, so first of all, let's dial it back to late 16th century. Where we, we've already touched on this a little bit. We talked a lot about the Spanish Armada. We talked a lot about uh, Bloody Mary, of course, Mary mm-hmm. Stuart, right? Uh, <clears throat> those were kind of sowing the seeds of, or not really sowing the seeds. Uh, those were definitely the fruit of a very strong anti-Catholic sentiment amongst England. Uh, and reciprocal, too, because as we've stated before, the biggest, one of the biggest conflicts that Elizabeth the first had in her reign as queen was establishing that she was a valid monarch. Yeah. For a couple of reasons. One, because she was declared illegitimate by her father, and then that was retracted later on. But second, because she was Protestant. And uh, the Catholic Church and the Catholic monarchs of Europe kind of viewed Henry VIII as a Protestant experiment, more than a, an Anglican experiment, mm-hmm. more than any anything else. So um, when when Elizabeth uh, died, she never took, of course, she was the, the quote-unquote virgin queen, probably not, uh, but she never took a husband, and she um, therefore left without an heir. And there was speculation that one of her, like, nieces or one of her, um, one of her cousins might become the king or the next monarch. And what ended up happening is that it's true. Her distant cousin, James Stuart, who is King James VI of Scotland... Uh, became the the heir to the British throne, thus doing two things, becoming James the sixth and first, because he was the first James in England, but also now creating the United Kingdom, because Scotland and England were now united under one monarch, one crown. And right. he so. also made the wonderful movies It's a Wonderful Life and Harvey. Oh, wait, not Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> not Jimmy Stewart. Oh, yes. my bad. Yeah, different spelling for Stewart. <laughs> yes, different spelling for Stewart, indeed. Uh, S-T-U-A-R-T, not S-T-E-W, yes. like Jimmy Stewart. Uh, was Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get out of it. Just I'm, call me Jimmy. Um, I'm the king of England. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm Scottish. How did that happen? Yeah, and, and James I did a couple of big things, right? So, first of all, in, Elizabeth had really established a firm, more firmly, the establishment of the Church of England, right, as being truly part of the Protestant movement. There was a lot of... Were, the eighth, the eighth, Henry the eighth had just was just protesting against the Pope more or less, and to the point where even the prayer book was still in Latin, like the services were still in Latin. It just yeah. was under a different name. Elizabeth brought part of it into being more the English language that we're, we're used to seeing today. James brought it one step further. He also ordered that the Bible finally be printed in English, hence the King James Bible being uh, created, and it took over a decade to to do that. Um, but it was also the first uniquely Protestant Bible in the English language. Right. So Catholics not too happy about that either. Nope. Yeah. But then, so there just was overall a really anti-Catholic tone in England. It was it was a crime sure. yeah. to be Catholic. Well, much of the population had already converted over, and 
you know, most of the estimates at the time during the plot put at about 5% openly Catholic uh, population in, in England at the time. <laughs> like you say openly Catholic. Openly Catholic. Well, it's, yeah. like, it's like we're saying someone's openly gay or not today. It's, well, it's, yeah. it's the same kind of stigma, which is really, really fascinating to me. Um, yeah. Now, to be totally fair, yes, the, like we were ten, kind of discussing before we did the show, uh, a large portion of those probably one generation ago were forced to convert from Catholicism because, right. let's face it, Henry VIII was many ways a tyrant and so he kind of said look this is the new thing you can either convert or you can die right so we're like um what were my options again yeah so um I'll, yeah convert convert works for me yeah yeah sure but for Good. most folks you know it, it wasn't that big of a difference it was it was to sarah's point again earlier before we were you know recording we were talking a little bit about this and it is really catholicism without the pope is essentially what it comes down that's to. what it comes down to is removing the authority of the pope and replacing that with the authority of the king yeah and this has been a contention within the Catholic Church for centuries, not just within England, is how, what role the Pope actually plays on doctrine, what role the Pope plays as the leader of the Church. Right. Everyone acknowledges within Catholicism that the Pope is the leader of the Church, but is he the supreme leader of the Church? Does he... Th those were all kind of questions that were still being figured out at this point in time. Right. Um, so, yeah, they weren't too crazy about... The Pope being this kind of supreme monarch, right? But uh, but my point is that there are very few people in the country who were really zeroed in, identified themselves as Catholic, and were a hundred percent behind yeah. the reestablishment of Catholicism in England. Right. Yeah. They would have no problem. Majority of people with the status quo, with things continuing as they were, and seeing their king, in this case King James the First, continue as their their leader of their church. Right. And let's face it. Literacy rate at this point was extremely low. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, most of them may not have really even known the difference, right? right. They were just like, okay, different heads, same church. Especially cool. for children who, you know, Catholicism, like many religions, has a very heavy um, indoctrination at early ages, particularly sure. in, in Catholicism and, and also mirrored in the Church of England. And so, you know, they were ingraining this in the young generation, that generation between Henry VIII and James I, to go ahead and accept this as the new status quo. Right. So why, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about the Protestant versus Catholic crises that happened in Europe? Well, let me enlighten you, Bryden. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Um, well, actually, so so what was happening is um, there were already like several attempts by English Catholics to try and organize conspiracies or whatever against Elizabeth. And it... Yeah. And it kept going on after James took the throne in 1603. Yeah. And so, um, but like James... You know, and actually some people thought that James was maybe going to have more um, side actually better with Catholics. They actually thought that he had some inclinations. Um, well, he started think, out being very well, progressive his, in that sense. Well, his wife was reported to be Catholic. Right. Um, but that turned out not to be true. And in 1604, he actually completely publicly condemned Catholicism deemed it a superstition and ordered Catholic priests to leave England. Yeah. Um, and so what that led to um, in May of 1604, uh, there were some dissidents, uh, Guy Fox, Robert Cattesby, Tom Winter, Jack Wright, and Thomas Percy. They all met at the Duck and Drake Inn in London and swore an oath that they were going to uh, take down James take it all down and actually go ahead and just like have a full-blown revolution <laughs> sure indeed and one of the the pawns to this was of course guy fox yes right now guy fox himself is an interesting character because he 
he was actually Protestant by birth. His parents were Protestant. He was not a big, he was not really particularly devout in the Church of England. And in fact, his maternal grandparents were Catholic. Mm -hmm. And then when his mom's, when his father passed away, his mom had married uh, a Catholic widower. So uh, he, those influences eventually led to his, to his conversion to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. At least not publicly, of course, but he yeah. he was a heavy, heavy, heavy Catholic well, sympathizer. It actually was fairly public um, to a certain extent because he spent a decade in Spain fighting against Protestants. Yeah, to the point where he decided he was no longer going to be called Guy. He When he was also in Italy, he adopted the the Italian uh, counterpart, which is, they called him Guido. Because yeah. Right. Yeah, that's how, that's what he identified with. Yeah. Keep in mind, he also spent uh, that time becoming a munitions expert as well, which would yes, play a rather indeed. important role yeah. in the plot to come. Well, it's that he was, and in his role in this group, he was not the brains behind the operation, no. even though he's the one we all celebrate, right? Right. because he's the martyr, that's why. Yeah. 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 Um, so how does this plot actually then come forward? So he was, um, so Guy Fox was fighting Protestant rebels in what was the Spain-controlled Netherlands at the time. Right. Um, then he thought that the English king was a heretic. And so he really wanted to just get in on this. Sure. Um, the whole little crew met and they came up with a plan. And the plan was to rent out the cellar that was below the House of Lords and to load it up with the f ton of gunpowder <laughs> and um and, and, blow, it and blow the whole yeah. thing up it actually seems like a very haphazard plan like all right what are we it's gonna do super basic yeah well we've got lots of black powder so we're going to put all of it in the basement and then light a match and <laughs> run away run, run away <laughs> we run and then yeah there we go. There we go. Let's do it. We want to do it on Thursday. <laughs> no, I've got bridge on Thursday. Let's do it on Friday. Well, it, to be fair, they met in May of 1604. Yeah. This all went down in November right. of 1605. It took a minute. <laughs> Probably to acquire that much black powder and not, not raise suspicion. suspicion. Right. Exactly. Be surprised, but the the amount of black powder floating around the country at that time was yeah. Uh, Far different than it is today, obviously. And the, yeah. and the black market would have provided them with pretty much everything they needed. In fact, oh, of the course. purchase probably would have happened closer sure. to the actual event itself. Well, let's be fair here, too. And just to color this a little bit more, because you mentioned the, the Dutch and Spanish conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really important to know. So the Dutch were allies with the English mm -hmm. uh, for one of the primary reasons is because they were both Protestant powers within Europe. Right. So, again, the Catholic's not so hip on that. So that's why he fought in Spain with that conflict. And we talked about before that the Dutch and the English were essentially like allowing even like legal piracy in the, the means of stopping all the Spanish ships from being able to uh, intervene in what they were trying to accomplish. So uh, I'm guessing with those kinds of things happening, it probably was easy to transport munitions back and forth if you had the right contact, you know? Yeah, That's fair. no, absolutely. I mean, they, they had a good amount of it probably right in the country itself that they could have gotten. But if they needed more, uh, they, they could have imported it quickly and easily. And 63 barrels, you know, it sounds like a lot. And it is a lot. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, because keep in mind, at that time, everything was stored in barrels. Yeah, I believe that's People a metric question half ton, barrel. actually, is what we call that. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is a metric half ton of black powder. Oh, I was saying a metric crap ton. Oh, crap ton. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, it's actually one ton. Sorry. Yeah. It's a, it is a crap one ton 
That is metric. Uh, <laughs> and transporting things around in barrels today might seem suspicious, right? yeah. especially because we come to associate barrels and black powder with one another because they, they quickly discover that if you actually wanted to blow something up with black powder, containing it was the way to do it. You know, black powder is, is pretty neat stuff. It was the super weapon of the time. Yeah. And it is, you know, uh, saltpeter, charcoal, and sulfur. And yeah. those three things by themselves are, are pretty mild. You know, they don't really do all that much, but you combine them together and they produce this really explosive formula. And it's also incredibly precise, too, because it burns clean and it's very efficient. So you essentially, you could, I mean... Well, there are additives that was added later to make it burn clean. Uh, initially, it burns very, very smoky. And at this time, it would have been quite a spectacle if it had actually gone off. Uh, it would have been a massive explosion uh, and it would have been directed upward because of the barrels themselves. Because keep in mind, what black powder does is it burns. Right. It, it doesn't by itself necessarily explode, but it's that process of the burning uh, when it's contained that forces that that explosion to come out as a result. Yeah, what it just comes down to is pressure more than anything, yeah. right? And and it would have been, you know, 63 barrels underneath the House of Lords would have been this, this massive uh, earth-shattering explosion. There would have been a shockwave felt within at least 400 meters uh, that would have done huge amounts of damage. Uh, Westminster Abbey would have been, all of its windows would have blown out, uh, all the surrounding area. People would have been harmed from, you know, the falling debris and glass. Yeah. Uh, and this is a House of Lords that is very different than what we think of today. Keeping right. right. It was effectively a big shack. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a building, mostly made out of concrete and wood, and it was not this beautifully ornate design that we found find in uh, in, the, in the palace at Westminster now. Yeah, because uh, uh, well, that was produced in the Victorian era. Yeah, so exactly. There was, there was this in that time. There was a lot stronger sense of Gothic oriented architecture. So that's why you have this beautifully ornate uh, structure you see today. But you're like like you're saying at this point. It's just basically it looks very actually unimpressive. Yeah, I mean for 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 Christ's sake, they were they were renting out the basement. <laughs> yeah, they were actually leasing it out. That's that's how this plot was actually going to work. Is that they were, they uh, they had leased it out, and Guy Fox was using the alias John Johnson. Yeah. I, just love, I just love that interaction. All right, so um, what name are you going to be using for the uh, for the basement? Uh, I'm going to go with John. 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 Johnson. Yeah. That one. Let's do that one. All right. Jones nothing suspicious Jones. about that whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. This is my brother. I slipped into Australian somehow. I don't know. This is my happened? brother, Pete Peterson. Um, um, <laughs> really? You're not John Johnson? No. You're not Peter Johnson? Different, mo- different fathers. Same mother. Ah. And different mother, but that happened later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you need a tortoise to understand it don't <laughs> yeah <clears throat> guys i think as well as our british accents are a bit rusty because because well, we haven't been doing it we as haven't much. been doing the show for a month um i haven't even <laughs> attempted one shine your boots for tuppence <laughs> <laughs> No, it's not Guy Fox. He would have said, I'm John Johnson. Yes, that's right. Oh, I'm John Johnson, I mean. Uh, nobody mm-hmm. in all of this time thought it might be a bad idea to rent out a spot directly beneath where the king is sitting. I, right. Yeah. Well, right? now they think it's a bad idea. 
I know that we've we've recently <laughs> seen some holes in British security surrounding um, the Prime Minister over the past couple of weeks with with, with um, aggressive joggers. But um, <laughs> did you guys see that in the news? I did not. Some guy was jogging in, in London and ran into the Prime Minister, and then they like tackled him. And oh my god! <laughs> and it was just an, a- an, yeah, an, it was an accident. He was just running, and he was like looking at his phone and wasn't paying attention. And, you know, oops, sorry, Mr. Prime Minister. Like I was just trying to work out. <laughs> so MI five was just like all over him. Basically, yeah, yeah. that's funny. <clears throat> but but, you know, uh, that that withstanding, nobody thought to themselves, we might want to have a little more security surrounding this yeah. area. But, <laughs> but they were lucky. They were also very lucky that the conspirators were that was, that, that barrels were as common as they were. And there were probably dozens, if not hundreds of barrels already down in the basement. And so they could quickly and easily slip into their black powder and put it right in yeah. their place. And we, for all I know, they, they wouldn't have known what was in those barrels. They could have thought it was barrels of gin, you know, and... Well, yeah. they thought it was barrels of gin, they would have found the black powder a lot earlier, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'd have been like, well, this guy's having a party. Let's go crash it. <laughs> um, so but, how does this all go down, though? Because obviously it didn't it didn't work. It didn't work. And, and there's some, you know, you guys had mentioned that uh, there was a spy that, like, learned about this. But from what I heard was that um, an anonymous letter was sent to a Catholic sympathizer within the House of Lords and... um, Essentially get him out. They basically said, yeah, you don't want to be there for the opening ceremony on this day. Right. Don't be there. And um, now some people are saying that that letter was actually fabricated. Mm. um, That they were... um, that they were kind of, you know, using it to kind of, you know, make it a bigger story, I think. Um, they suggested, a, yeah, that um, authorities already knew about the gunpowder po- gun plot, and they only let it progress as an excuse to to further crack down on Catholicism. So that that was kind of the whole idea, that they were trying to, like, blow it up. But <laughs> and this was as, William as, Parker. A, more of a media sense, not the actual explosion sense. Oh, but, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually, that was not intentional. I was just saying things. Uh, just quickly to reiterate, this was William Parker who received the letter. Who was oh, was the, it William Parker? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And of course, what ended up happening is the spymaster of James Six and One. Mm-hmm. Um, six and One. Uh, I'm just going to call him that. Robert Cecil um, was the one who in, in basically intercepted the letter and yeah. became aware of the plot. And honestly, I think we can thank Elizabeth for this more than anything, because it was Elizabeth's court that really heavily developed uh, the English spy network. That, well, that they geared, had to, because yeah. there were so many plots against her life that they needed some sort of security. Right. And yeah. remember, there was also a plot before this on James, uh, mm-hmm. the by plot, which oh, was yeah. to kidnap him and keep him in the, the, the Tower of London. Um, also by also by Catholics. Also by Catholics, or yeah. orchestrated by several Catholic priests. Yeah. So, you know it's no big surprise then that uh, they would try again so quickly because that uh, the byplot was only one year before this in 1603. Right, right. So the plan um, that they had developed was that Fox was going to light the fuse on November 5th, blow up all of Parliament, and that would include um, the House of Lords, the House of Commons, and um, the king and his oldest son. So that was going to be a lot of people. Yeah. Which would have been Charles the First, the future King Charles the First. So, um, yeah, it it would have basically, if that had actually been successful, the impact on Europe that would have had would have been, uh, would have been un- unbelievable. I mean, you would have you would have essentially had knocked out any Protestant um, heirs to the throne, mm-hmm. which would have had. I mean, if you trace the English lineage back, English the are, the English are so. Uh, 
the English royalty is so particular about having an unbroken bloodline. So they would have eventually traced it back to a Catholic monarch who would have well, taken over the throne at that point. Well, yeah, but they, so... But wasn't it James's beyond, daughter who was yeah, actually part of this? Exactly. So well, Not part of it, per se. She was she was part of the plan. So she it was a young pa- child. Yeah. yeah. So they, um, after the explosion occurred, then Fox was going to escape across the River Thames, and um, they would start an uprising, kidnap James's daughter, Elizabeth. Right. And then try to use her as a pawn or a puppet, establish her as queen, and marry her off to a Catholic. Exactly. There you go. Which, that plot I don't know <laughs> how they were going to get away with that part of it. Garbage. I'm sorry. I don't believe this plot would have ever, ever succeeded. Uh, I think the biggest impact it would have had, obviously, was in the in the immediate, right? They would have had to... Because essentially, what were what was in the House of Lords? Well, there was the king. Yes, there was his, his immediate heir. But then we also have the lords and the bishops. The lords are relatively easy to replace. Bishops are not, though. Bishops were a little more difficult, but you could elevate people to the rank of bishop and replace them. You can do the same thing with the lords. There was a bunch of wealthy people in waiting who probably would have been pleased to see that whole house go up the way it did. Well, let's not forget that the House of Lords is also known by the form, its more formal title of the House of Peers, right? We're not talking about just lords. We're talking about the entire British peerage. Yeah. So that would have had um, it would have had tremendous impact on the future of the royal family. But well. some people would have certainly had to have given their apologies who would not have been able to be there that day, whether they were sure. on foreign trips or they were dealing with illness or they were just elsewhere in the country at the time. But I think the biggest impact it would have had would have actually been to philosophy. Interesting. Because who would have been present there that day as well? Sir Francis Bacon. Mm. Interesting. Uh, he was <clears throat> he was going to be there on that opening day. And uh, I think uh, the, the future of English philosophy would have changed very different if Bacon oh, sure. had, had died at that time in, yeah. in his life. Um, also keep in mind, this was the, the time of Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and, toward the uh, end of his life, but yes. Towards the end of his life, but nonetheless still, you know, an event of this magnitude would have certainly produced a work from Shakespeare commenting on it. In fact, some of his 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 work did comment oh a little bit God. on the plot Shakespeare itself. Shakespeare doing a full blown spy thriller. How awesome would that have that been? That would have been amazing. Oh, f- sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's one. <laughs> sorry, you only get two more. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. But you're right. Like. Sh- I mean, you essentially, you have something close to that with Richard III, but to do a Guy Fawkes uh, Shakespearean play would have been incredible. It would have been, fin- and it would have been a sensation within oh, yeah. London. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and probably throughout, it probably would have made Europe very, very intrigued, to say the least. Well, mm-hmm. this this would have been an extremely confusing time for a lot of Protestants, is probably what just would have gone well, down. Well, that's the other thing, Or a too. lot of people outing themselves as Catholic in that case. Yeah. And then here's the other thing. I want to know how they would get away with actually kidnapping Elizabeth. I mean, obviously, she could become queen very easily after that. But to keep themselves surrounding her yeah. so much that they'd be able to marry her off to a Catholic, to have that kind of control over her, young girl or not, yeah. she could probably still talk. And... Who, their people are going to wonder who the hell are these guys and why do they get sure. why do they get to be around well, Elizabeth? The other know? thing I find fascinating too, there's, yes, there's absolutely that. But the other thing I find fascinating is that the if the Parliament is destroyed, you pretty much have all the work that's been laid for the last four or five hundred years toward building a more republican idea of a of a monarchy would have been pretty much destroyed completely. So you would have actually had a reversion back to an absolute monarchy as well, hmm. um, temporarily, anyhow. 
Uh, I don't know because all the the key players who would have wanted the king to have le- the monarch to have less power wouldn't have had anything would wouldn't be there to speak up anymore because they're all, let's face it, shrapnel. This would have been a really interesting alternate history. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I would love to see it play out some way, yeah. either in a novel or maybe it's already been done. It's Doctor quite Who possibly already has. Ooh, oh, Doctor Who episode would be great. Not to mention yeah. a number of the Catholic monarchies that were still present in Europe were absolute monarchies as well. So. And keep in mind, though, that would be separate from the actual gunpowder plot, which was an actual yes. episode of Doctor Who. But That's totally true. It was. But, but different than that. Yes. I was looking at this when we were, I was doing some research. We, there was, um, I referred to a BBC article, which was wonderful, about breaking down to his prof, Guy Fox's profile. And it just so happens that on the side, there's an ad for the Matt Smith Doctor. Uh, <laughs> it's a game you can play where you, you have to, like, one of the people you meet up with is Guy Fox. That's funny. That's 16th cool. century, yeah. But what ended up happening, because none of this did happen, right. what ended up happening is they sent a search party down to the cellar and stopped all of this um, on midnight on November 4th. So they found him in there. He had matches in his pocket, 36 barrels of gunpowder, and was ready to go. And oh, I said 63 earlier. I apologize. It's 36. 36, yes. Yeah. Dyslexia. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. But... They, uh, for Fox, he said that he um, he blamed the failure of the plot um, on the devil and not God. So mm. everything they blamed on God or the devil at this point. Yeah, you know, if they had succeeded, it was because God was in their favor. If they had failed, it's because they had done something to make God angry and yeah. they had to beg or, for forgiveness. Or it was the devil interfering. Yeah. Exactly, something so. like that. Yeah. Yep, and he was taken to the tower. He was tortured by order of the king. And um, all of the co-conspirators were all, um, I think they died in a shootout. And then um, Fox was, I think he was hung, hung, drawn, and quartered. Which means to hang someone by the neck, disembowel them, and then behead them. Yeah. Yes. He was dead before they did the drawn and quartering. In the bed. Yeah. The, right. uh, unless, unless they were being that mean, just like just to, just to strangle him for a while. But usually... I think they had developed the guillotine, at this, or not the guillotine, they had developed Gallows. the trap, thank you, the trapdoor gallow at this point, so he would have had, his neck would have snapped almost instantly. Uh, actually, I don't know if the trapdoor was being used at the time. I think they probably just strung him up. On, put um, him like on a barrel and then kicked the barrel out from under them, or? Well, he most likely would have asphyxiated rather than have his neck broken. The neck broken is the is the effect of, of falling right. with, the, with the noose around your neck. I think they probably at the time just strangled him, maybe disemboweled him while he was still struggling for air, uh, and then took the corpse down and cut the head off. It was a public show. That's yeah. that's why this yeah. was done. It was it was done to instill fear into the hearts of those who would mm-hmm. conspire against the king and the Church of England. It was it was Fox and four or three of his co-conspirators. Uh, I think Cattisby was the one who died in a shootout with um, English troops. So now, did he have a wispy little beard and mustache? Because that's what I've been wondering. <laughs> I don't know this whole time. And were his cheeks rosy? I don't know. I would uh, the, like to find some evidence. The paintings and drawings I've seen of Guy Fox, he definitely has a goatee, but it's a robust goatee. Yeah. Mm. It's like... I wonder why there. they gave him little cherub cheeks, though. It's an artist's interpretation. I guess so. Yeah. Those masks are just so popular. Yeah, very sinister. <laughs> they are kind of. I mean, in a way, Guy Fox is kind of a dual symbol. He's a dual symbol of what the feelings toward Catholics were at that time, but he's also a symbol of... Rebellion. Of rebellion, exactly, and standing up against uh, an unjust an unjust government, right? Right. So uh, I think... I feel like that's what the English connect to more than the Catholic thing. Well, so, I mean, they've kind of... They've kind of shed the Catholic thing, absolutely, but there's still... 
you're still burning Guy Fawkes in effigy right. in celebration. So it's still anti-Guy Fawkes, but it's not really because... I mean, it's really easy to kind of put an American twist on it because we celebrate rebels here. We are rebels. That's how we, that's how we were created. So we love that underdog story. We love that story of taking down the man. So the English, I mean, look at Robin Hood. Robin Hood's a man who's, who rises up against an unjust system as well. That's true, but he was also part of the system. He was doing it to get his, I mean, he was also fighting for his title back He was as fighting well. against corruption. Yeah. You know, he was showing the public eye that the government... While it had its corruption, uh, those individuals would be dealt with justly. So it was actually a bit of English propaganda, if you really think about it. Um, to, because to Sarah's it was point. because it was somebody who was sitting in the throne of the king and not the king. Right, exactly. So that's okay. so that's kind of that's a little different. But with Guy Fox, we have somebody who who tries to dethrone. Yeah, England. and there there are historians who've basically flat out admitted that each generation repurposes Guy Fox for. You know whatever they whatever suits them for right. us it sure. absolutely suits us to to look at it as you know the v for vendetta type character and that's exactly yeah. when this all comes about is in the 1980s when that graphic graphic novel comes into existence mm-hmm. uh even the mask comes into existence at that point because right. little cardboard uh versions of it were being sold alongside uh comic books at mm-hmm. that time yeah so uh that's what it gained in its popularity and and Really, it's it's the V for Vendetta that is what everyone else who's doing those, you know, sit in at Wall Street and all that are are symbolizing. They're not really symbolizing Guy Fawkes. We've removed Guy Fawkes from that element of it. And now they're really just referencing the comic book. Here's what yeah. blows just me referencing away. Guy Fawkes. Typing in the single letter V into Google, you automatically get the suggestion V for, v Vendetta. for Vendetta. That's funny. Hey, did you guys realize that V is five in Roman numerals? And then this all went down like November 5th is Guy Fawkes Day. What? Yeah. Mind blown. Crazy, right? And like there was the also House of Parliament like the House of Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was also uh, a very early comic book character called Citizen V, and it was for the same thing. It was meant oh, okay. to be double entendre for five. And I don't know if that was any form of inspiration for Alan Moore. Oh, and um, to be also fair, David Lloyd and Tony Weir, right? Because that's it's really their artist rendering of how V looks with the Guy Fox Max that really set that mask into into place right that that creates that visage that we're we're so respondent to now yeah it's just yeah i just the the holiday though is like so repurposed it's just not it's not about it's not even really about the anti-catholic thing anymore i hope um it's really not it's and it's not I, I'm not even sure if it's really even about the sense of rebellion either, you know, it's with the exception of maybe with the, fireworks. Yeah. And, and hang out with family and, yeah. you know, holidays are always, sometimes we always forget that, you know, sometimes we forget the true meaning of holidays. Yes. It happens. <laughs> I mean, look at the United States. Every year on the 4th of July, we all get together for barbecues. Yeah. We join up with friends and family mm-hmm. and we blow up small pieces of our country. We do this to celebrate the birth of our nation. Yeah. Some people, but some people, <laughs> right, exactly. some people absolutely do take it seriously and get all weepy when they play God Bless America. And that's fine. I have absolutely no problem with that. They yeah. should do that. If, yeah. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud that our country gained its independence. And uh, I still don't see the direct correlation between fireworks unless we're trying to recreate, you know, the I battles. Think that, that I think it was, that's what it was, is the symbol of the, of the battlefield. Yeah. But for but, me, it's a cool experience to take my kids out there and, that's and, true. and have them watch pretty things blow up in the sky. That is true. And then I, I, but it's very interesting though. I wonder if, is there anybody, 
any like British Protestants out there that are watching all this stuff blowing up, getting weepy, going, man, I hate the Pope. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. And essentially, that's really what it is, right? It's not the Catholic religion that anybody takes Pope. issue with. It's, it's the... anti-papal. Well, yeah. what it comes to, and we had, to be totally fair, we had the same concerns about John F. Kennedy when he was running for president. Yeah. Right. Do we want a Catholic running our country? And John F. Kennedy had to sit, stand in front of a bunch of Protestant ministers and say, with with one hundred percent certainty that if the Pope came to him and asked him to do something, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Right. And that is what is at stake here. The Pope does feel he has the right to tell heads of state who are Catholic how to run their country. How what because they are he's a moral advisor. He believes he has the right to morally advise them on politics as well. Does that really stand for every Pope? I think the current Pope is definitely taking a, a huge step back from that, yeah. which yeah. is a good thing. But I think, historically speaking, um, and this was also would have been John the Twenty Third, who was really not that adamant of a politician. He was more or less a reformer, right, at the time. So, um, but yes, I do think the Pope in general has historically shown that he has the right to interfere with politics. Okay. I, I think the Pope has the right to suggest a correct moral co- uh, course. If it's something that everyone can get on board with. Absolutely. Not unlike the leader of the United Nations, who represents the moral code and and legal code of countries together, unified as one. Uh, I think if the Pope wants to do that from a religious standpoint, as long as it's, it's inclusive to everybody in the world, I don't have a problem with that. And that's what the Pope tries to do. The Pope is not so much trying to enforce everyone being a good Catholic. Yes, of course, that is what he would like to have happen. But it's about trying to ensure that the morals of the church are being, uh, which are, which focuses mostly on social justice, like fighting poverty, fighting, fighting, you know, any form of injustice. I, I think that is true of some popes and not all. Agreed. But I think of the current pope, I would be willing to believe that more now than ever. Agreed. Especially because he just came out and said that evolution and the Big Bang are awesome. That was huge. That was a huge deal. That and now, was so huge. It, I mean, yeah. it's like pretty much saying that cre- the creation story is a metaphor, which is, I mean, that's the thing that a lot of um, Christian believing scientists, intelligent design type people have been saying for a long time. And that, right. I mean, I, I personally am not religious, but that's not a bad thing. Not a bad idea. Mm. Not a bad notion. Right. Exactly. If I mean, it reconciles the two. Hey, it's something everybody can get on board with. It's super di- diplomatic. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't mince words either. He said the words, God is not a magician. <laughs> you know, he calls him the creator and the creator took place over centuries, which or which or, or, and he even said millennia too, which is unbelievable. Now, and again, we've said it before too. George Lamontre, the guy who developed the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm was a Catholic monk. Yeah. So he developed an idea that was within the idea of Catholic's idea of creationism. We're just finally validating that, look, the Bible is a is a religious text. It does not do itself credit by doing by calling itself a science book or a history book. Right. It's a it's a story of, of how you can develop your faith. And the fact that the Pope is saying that and acknowledging that is huge. Yeah, well it just goes to show that the the Pope of Guy Fox's era and the Pope of this era are two very different things. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and same with the celebration of Bonfire Day or Guy Fawkes Day. Uh, or Pope Day. Or Pope Day. It's also known as Pope Day. There are two total, they have totally different significance now than they ever have in the past. And that's okay. That's what we're, this show's all about, right? Is exploring the history now uh, as it's being made and the history of the past. Yeah. And seeing their connections, but also seeing how they're different. Right. And let's also talk for a second about um, how the anti Catholic 
sentiment in Europe has changed completely. I mean, or at least in, in England. Well, you know, I mean, since like Cromwell days. Yeah, since the Cromwell days, well, exactly. Well, like where Catholics were being burned at the stake and things like that. Like, it was a really, really dark yeah. time. Well, not only that, but there was a law the parliament passed for centuries that the, the monarch could not marry a Catholic. Yeah. Under a, because of what happened with Charles, because Charles' right. wife was Catholic. Uh, and with Charles II, too. Um, they've just recently, like within the last couple of years. Yeah. They've just recently repealed that that rule because yeah. we're not in that world anymore. Well, and being Catholic wasn't really decriminalized in, in the UK until the 19th century. Right. The so, Catholic emancipation. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it took a long time. So if you think of kind of the the level of anti-Semitism that still exists, um, you know, the, the anti the anti-rom movement like all this kind of stuff it's these are things that you can see sometimes it takes a long time to get past that so um you know it's it's just a very very interesting perspective on you know because you always kind of think of like i I know i always kind of feel like catholics is like a, a religious superpower um and to to think that there was an act like a very legitimate part of time where it was you were like risking your life by being Catholic. So. Yeah. And we've said it before. It's because the papacy effectively is what is left of the Roman empire. Yeah. And he was effectively the Roman emperor in mm-hmm. a different form. Right. So when you, when you attach political power to religious power, uh, I mean, even the Romans had two separate figures, the religious leader and the, the military and political leader. When you combine them into one, you have a very dangerous combination. Right. Um, and not, I mean, you kind of have what you see going on in the Middle East now with a lot of the Islamic theocracies yeah. that are mm-hmm. in place. So, Sarah, uh-huh. since you're now co-host, okay, would you like to help us with some feedback? I would consider it, except it was pre my presence. So you no, have always <laughs> been present. <laughs> I'm ever present. This week in listener feedback. So we have some uh, feedback from Jacob. He sent an email. It says, Dear Brian and Eric, this probably sounds repetitive, but I just recently started listening to your flinging of peas. I love your, uh, listening to your funny twists on history and personal snipes on each other. I have a request for a few episodes on the th- on the Thirty Years' War. Um, I feel it's often overlooked uh, time of history and transition time, not only for the Holy Roman Empire slash Germany, but for the whole world. Uh, look forward to when you come back from your October break. Sincerely, Jacob. I think the Thirty Years' War would be fascinating. That would be fascinating. I don't really know that much about it, so I would really like to actually research that. That sounds like it would be a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. We also had that one from a couple months ago about the King of the Mormons, quote-unquote, the 18,000 people. That one seems like it could be a fun episode, too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and thank you guys, and thank you for sticking with us. It it was funny. I was tracking the... uh, Traffic to our website. We actually got more traffic in October than we did in September, even though we didn't post anything. Was everybody oh. just going through our backlogs? Probably everyone's just going through wow. our backlogs and catching up on Halloween episodes. Well, I so. hope you guys enjoyed yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, we hope you did too. Um, you should go back and listen to the Woodstock episode because that one was really fun. And the King Arthur episode was The King awesome. Arthur episode. And the Platypus of Languages. In fact, uh, just erase everything that Brian and I ever did <laughs> without Sarah and only listen to those episodes. <clears throat> not, <clears throat> not really sure how <clears throat> I feel. Um, is your throat closing? Are you allergic to me? <laughs> I, I, is it? Can I, I think you sat on that guys? World War I, One helmet I, again. I <laughs> <clears throat> You're right. I'm good. I'm good. 
Uh, or the Atlantis episode, Brian. That the was, Atlantis that episode. Was a good we do not one. speak of that episode. <laughs> I still have to listen to it. Is it because you just refuse to listen He's to anything so about Atlantis? Atlantis. <laughs> oh my god. Which is we make, talk about how it's I'm, not actual history. I know. Like it wouldn't. It but wouldn't the concept happen. of it is historical. It, I'm working up to it. Okay. It, it wouldn't happen, but I just for me in my mind, the <laughs> fantasy of news breaking of like irrefutable archaeological evidence of the existence of Atlantis. Just seeing the look on Eric's face, it, he would he would turn white. You can and see right now he is smiling politely, but he is so enraged right now. <laughs> it is not even funny. He is actually turning red, folks. Very very mildly, he is slowly turning pink, and, and now that means red. He's not actually being sarcastic. Eric is actually turning red right now. <laughs> not gonna happen, folks. <laughs> not gonna happen. Keep on waiting. Keep on waiting. <laughs> to be fair, I've never seen Eric yell in his life, so this might be how he shows anger. It's just this... No, just turns red. No, I bottle it up mostly. Oh, that's how <laughs> oh, that's healthy. Out. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, folks, we always appreciate the feedback, and we love you guys for following us on our journey. So um, if you want to continue to give us feedback, you may do so by going to Deuteronomy.com and clicking on the Talk to Us link. And you can also do it by um, the interwebs using our social media as well, right? Yes, use a system of tubes. It's a system of tubes. It's all a very elaborate system of tubes, after all. Uh, yes, uh, through our Facebook and Twitters at Nerdonomy, and as well as Instagram now as well. You can follow our photo posts through there. And and you can give us money, which is what we need to keep doing this. <laughs> yes, indeed. Support Nerdonomy and our mission to deliver great content to you by a couple different ways. You can give us a straight up donation by clicking on the donate button, uh, or you can go to our, well, Sarah, do you want it? Do you want to take it? Take it. You can take go to it. our affiliate links. Uh, you can click on any banners for Amazon on our website, nerdonomy.com, and uh, a little bit of the proceeds from your online shopping will go back to us. Um, or you can also um, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy. If you're thinking about listening to some online books, I'm assuming if you're listening to podcasts, you like listening to people talk at you. So you probably will like people talking at you and telling you a story. So uh, definitely check it out if you haven't tried Audible um, and, uh, you know, give us a cut while you're at it. So there you have it. And if you are looking on the desktop page, you can just click on the Audible link on the right side. And I know, folks, that, <clears> you know, we are switching to only two episodes a month. Uh, I think that you will still absolutely adore and love us with all the great content that we're going to be putting out. However, if you do want to hear us more than that, you have to make this our day job. So you have a mission. Because right now with donations, we need to be making approximately 80 to 200 times what we are getting in donations oh right now uh, for that to actually happen. But you can do that, not through your own pocket, but through the pockets of others and through the ears of others. Help other people listen to our podcast. Absolutely. Get the word out there. Spread. You are our marketing. You are our grassroots marketing. Tell more people. Preach the word of nerd. And also give us a lot of good reviews on iTunes. That yes, would help please, too. Please, please. Yes, indeed. All right, folks, it's that time. So thank you for listening. And until we meet again, stay nerdy. And tune into us next time. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Adios. All right, so remind me again, how many bleeps do I get an episode? Three. You get you get three. Yes, only three. Uh, only three? Okay. Um, how many did I use? One. Just one? Mm-hmm. Oh. That's good. F***. Okay. F
Well, at least it was only three. I feel better now.